everybody. Welcome into the Point Podcast. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor of the Point Church. We are located in Southwest Pensacola, the Perdido Key area. If you live in this area or you're here visiting on vacation or you're in the military, we would love to have you come by and visit with us. We do this podcast every week with our pastoral staff at the church. I'm going to let the guys introduce themselves. Hey everybody, my name is John Vickers and I serve as the Next Generations Pastor here at the Point Church. Hey y'all, my name is Josh Heisler. I'm the campus pastor of the Alberta campus in beautiful Alberta, Alabama. Hey guys, this is Joe McClellan, the executive pastor and worship leader at the Purdue Key campus. Today on the podcast, we're going to make a little bridge into last week's. Uh, if you didn't listen to that, we talked about what is an evangelical and I hope it's a really good podcast. I hope you'll listen to it as we uh, just get back to biblical terms and letting the Bible define who we are. We need to be really careful about broad-stroking people with labels uh, in our culture. That is so prevalent right now. Uh, We need to get back to being biblical Christians and letting the Word of God define who we are and what we believe. One of the things that came up in that that conversation was uh, about the different generations that make up the body of Christ. So you've got some that are uh, senior, senior adults. You've got some that are Uh, The boomer age, a little bit younger than them. You've got middle-aged adults. You've got millennials. You've got Generation Z. And we go right on down the ladder. That time is passing so quickly and culture is changing so rapidly that we really don't even know how to define uh, the youngest generation right now in the world that they're growing up in. And so we looked at one article briefly last week about millennial evangelicals and how they are diverging from their parents' beliefs. Now, we have the luxury of having one millennial on our staff. He's my favorite millennial on the staff. Josh, you're not a millennial? No, I'm not. No, I'm I'm old enough to be Gen X. Well, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And for our listeners, this millennial is gainfully employed. He is married, has a baby girl, owns a home, And he is a millennial. Now, I bring that up because I think sometimes the older generation just broad strokes. Everybody that's younger is a millennial. He just broke so many stereotypes with that whole deal there. You know, that's something that's really, really frustrating for an entire generation of people to be uh, judged as so different because it took us a little bit longer. If you think about the way that generations are defined, they're usually really big cultural moments. And for millennials, that cultural moment was when 9-11 happened. Man, 2001, I remember when I remember when that happened. I was in the sixth grade. They rolled a TV cart into the room. We watched the second plane hit, the, hit that tower. And in that moment of uncertainty, that was the first time that an entire generation uh, really came to the face with mortality on a scale that was that big. It was something that really made us start to question life. And then there was a recession a little bit later as we were going into college that really impacted the workforce. And a lot of these generational changes that happen aren't necessarily based out of beliefs or things that uh, that we're raised in, but things that happen in the overall world. And I think what we're seeing uh, is that generational divides are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller over time. We were talking just a few minutes before we started recording, and 
man, some of you may remember a time where there were three TV stations. Everybody was watching the same thing, mm-hmm. and they may have even played the national anthem at the end of the day when it was yep. time to go off it, the air. It actually went off the air. It would shut down. There wasn't 24-hour anything. That's ever. right. Yeah. That was something that I never experienced, right? we I grew up in the cable generation. There were, uh, you know, more than three channels, but, you know, not quite as many as when satellite TV came out. And the thing that we lost is a sense of commonality, of, of shared experiences, because, of course, if we get now into Gen Z and even Gen IY, uh, which will be named at a later date, and I think they'll be defined by this COVID season that we're in. But there's so many individualized, customized, tailored versions of any kind of ideology, any kind of, of TV show, any kind of movies. You name it, there's some kind of community for it online. And this is really challenging to us, especially whenever it comes to faith, because we have to really lean in to the truths of Scripture and be very careful not to add anything that's extra or anything that was cultural into the truth of God's Word. So I'm 48, John, and I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm just feeling, I'm feeling so sorry for you that you never got to change the TV with a pair of pliers. <laughs> that, <laughs> that you don't remember... As I do as a kid, the first time uh, we brought a little box into our house and plugged it into the TV, and it had a little slider on top, and that's how we changed our channels. I mean, we thought we were big time and moved up the ladder. And let's 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 take that and bring that into today. Now we watch cable TV on our phones. Uh, we watch cable TV when we're riding down the road. If you even have cable yeah, TV. Yeah, it's not even cable. It's just streaming now. Yeah. yeah or yeah. satellite or something, yeah. So, on, so get up with it, old man. So these thoughts, like like, <laughs> like me saying to you, uh, I feel sorry for you didn't get to change the TV with some pliers. Let's bring that over into how the older folks and what they experienced in Christianity, yeah. in the church, in politics, in government, in the workforce. Because correct me if I'm wrong, the largest uh, demographic in the U.S. workforce right now is millennials. That is absolutely correct. I think you're you're bringing up something that's really interesting, especially if we have any uh, millennials or younger listening to the podcast right now. You know, uh, the church that I served at before I came to Point was a uh, historic, traditional Southern Baptist church, and I heard a lot of talk about the good old days that I never experienced. You know, there was a lot of, uh, I, I, I learned about these things in church history and seminary, and a lot of those things that were good I think we're lost, and uh, I'm afraid that sometimes we look at uh, maybe the blots or the blemishes out of that as a younger generation when we're seeking truth. So looking back on that, in, just in my life, I've grown up differently than than you. Uh, Joe, probably a little bit more closer to the way I grew up. I mean, Josh is a weirdo. He's from the West Coast. He's from Washington. Yeah, are, you, are, you, are, you even, are you even a Yankee? What are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a yeah. mutt. But, like, from from a generational perspective, I'm at the tail end of Gen X, right? So, like, like my the year I was born is the end of it. So, I'm kind of halfway between Tim and Joe and John, age-wise and generational-wise. So, so, so Josh mutt. and Joe are Gen X. Yeah, right. I, was, I was born at the end of it, too. I was, depending on what you're looking at, we could be like the bottom end of millennials or the top end of Gen X's. So I am in the category of um, you're Gen X, too, right? You're Gen, I top think you're end. Gen X. I'm top end Gen X. Yep. Yeah. So then I have folks that I pastor that are above me. 
Mm-hmm. I have, man, I've got some folks, believe it or not, there's some folks in our church that are pretty close to being twice as old as I am. Wow. Now, you think about think about 48. At 48, guys, I can remember something, John, you can't. Mm-hmm. I remember brush arbor meetings. I remember as a kid going out in the woods and there being pole barns with metal roofs and evangelistic crusades being held mm-hmm. out in the pole mm-hmm. barn. Yeah, tent, tent revivals. Tent revivals. Yeah. You remember mm-hmm. tent revivals yep. growing up. And so we look back on that time, and, and I would say this. I was saved when I was 13. That's 35 years ago. Joe, how were you when you got saved? I was seven. Seven years old, and you're now? I'm 42. 42, so that's 35 years ago. So we got saved the same year. Um, yeah. Josh, how, how, how were you when you I, got saved? I don't remember my exact age, probably seven or eight. I, I grew up in the church, so. Okay, so all three of us about 35 years ago, yeah. that is older than John. Right now, age-wise. So we, we got saved before he was even born. So we look back on that time, and we look, we look at how God worked and how God moved. And things were different back then for kids and, 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 and teenagers and college-age kids and young adults. And we fast-forward right now. We are in 2020, and we are living in a world that is unbelievable mm-hmm. in how the younger generation today is processing that. Now, something I want to point out, um, I thank God. I, I know that I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. But we look back in that word evangelical, evangelicalism, and it ties into a, a period called revivalism, if you will. Joe, talk a little bit about kind of what that that era of revivalism entailed. So something that would have started, you know, at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, and it's had a couple of you know, resurgences throughout history. Uh, you got the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening that happened in the Northeast. And, and then you have what kind of went through the Bible Belt in the mid-century with the revivalist movement where there's lots of, Tim mentioned it, you know, camp meetings, revivalist movement like that, where you have, you know, a gifted worship leader or a singer or singing groups along with a very powerful preacher and typically they're coming into a small town or area, like we mentioned tent revivals and stuff. They're setting up their tents, and they are boldly proclaiming the gospel in those situations. People are bringing their coworkers and their relatives that are not saved. So it was very, again, about that word evangelistic evangelism, that's what it was all about. And I feel like, and we talked about this before we start recording as well, there were some mighty movements of the Holy Spirit in those things. A lot of people saved, a lot of, a lot of lives changed, what can what happened uh, because those can draw a crowd is I think sometimes as the spirits moving of that changed or diminished the man movement of it continued and I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna use this word and I don't mean it like it's gonna sound but it somewhat got abused in that mm-hmm. it 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 got prolonged past what maybe it should have been prolonged and you see the result is you know movement in the flesh where you're trying to conjure up converts for the sake of numbers or for the sake of notoriety. And uh, that, that, that's a broad thing. They were, I was saved in that. You know, my dad was saved in that. Um, I don't know, Tim, maybe you were too. Or maybe, Josh, you were too. But, you know, so there were good, good things of it. Sometimes it went on into something that maybe we're, we're reaping the, the benefits of now. You so, know, when it gets to that, I actually went to a tent revival. And between it was either 1998, 1999 as a as a young child, I only experienced that one time. 
Um, but I can certainly picture, you know, the the big white tent out in the church parking lot. The people mm-hmm. are gathering in, uh, having having a preacher come in. So I can, I can see that culturally happening. And I've seen how, man, especially coming into a small town, man, that that those tent revivals would absolutely turn that town upside down. Yeah, you know, um, for. For, for good reasons, but, you know, I think over time we've seen some of the fruit of that play out, and I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. I think what we have a hard time with is is differentiating between revivalism and emotionalism. Mm. You know, yeah. when there's a mighty move of the Spirit of God and people are saved and born again, man, that's a wonderful thing. And who are we to sit back and say, well, they didn't do it the right way or that kind of thing. It would be very arrogant of us to sit here and do that. Right. Well, at the same time, here we sit in 2020, and if that is the answer, if that's the answer on how to get people saved, why aren't we throwing up tents everywhere? Mm. You know, why aren't we having tent meetings in the parking lot? And here's where I'm going with that. I think maybe some of the older generation looks back on that as the formula that worked. Mm. It was the formula that worked, and we've gotten away from the formula. And I think we've seen that even in some of our lives, in Mm. our ministry and places that we've been where there's this pressure to get results, pressure to get response. And I want to tie this into this millennial situation. Uh, John, uh, you're you're the expert here, you know, since you went to New Orleans and you have your degrees in children's and youth and all that. You're the expert. Millennial evangelicals diverging from their parents' beliefs. How about also I believe there are millennials that are diverging away from the church and the Christian faith because at some point under the parents' guidance, pressure, and maybe a pure desire to see their child saved and born again, there was a praying of a prayer, there was a baptismal moment, there was an affirmation maybe when there wasn't any heart change. Man, you're you're reading into my past right here. And uh man, I remember when I was I was 7 years old, a uh we saw the youth ministry come back from camp and a few of them got baptized in the service and man, I just thought that was so cool. I didn't know what what this thing up at the front of the church was used for. Uh you know, I think I even described it as a swimming pool in the front of the church as a 7-year-old <laughs> and uh one Sunday night we were leaving church and I've shared this this testimony before on the podcast, but we were leaving, and my mom said, hey, you need to ask the pastor about that. And I asked the question, what do I need to do to get baptized? And, of course, we know that's not the right question, but he reached in his back pocket, pulled out his wallet, handed me a card that had the sinner's prayer on it and said, son, if you'll go home and you'll you'll pray this and you believe this, we'll baptize you. So, of course, as a seven-year-old, I went home, I read read the card, okay, great, you know, I knew who Jesus was, I had been in the church, but there was a disconnect between a knowledge um, and then a knowledge that, that Peter writes about in, in, in the book of Second Peter of living out this thing and being changed by the gospel, um, so that that connection had not happened yet, and without much counseling, I was baptized and told that I was a Christian. And then, of course, later on in life, you know, really came came to the realization that, man, I'm someone who's spiritually dead who needs to be brought to life through the blood of Jesus. And uh, as as a twelve year old made made that decision and was was really afraid to make a profession of faith, 
because I was thinking, man, people already think that I'm a believer. People uh, expect me to behave a certain way. What if I don't live up to that? And so I didn't actually get baptized until I was 15 years old. Um, But the thing that's so interesting about this conversation is in a seminary class of about 50 or so, uh, one of our youth ministry teachers just said, hey, just curious, how many of you have a story where you had a profession of faith when you were young, say six, seven, eight years old, and then as a teenager, you were actually saved and started to live as a Christian, and everybody in the room raised their hand going, man, that was me, Um, and I don't think that, I don't think that anyone meant harm in the way that they were ministering. I think it came from a good place, but I think it shows the necessity of articulating the gospel. All right, I got a question about what you just said. Um, Praise God, everybody in that class raised their hand, Mm -hmm. and they reached a point where they had that understanding. What about the flip side of that? What about the harm that has been done? Uh, Is it visible in that there were some like you that did what you did, but here they are, they're a 30, 35, 40-year-old adult. They have no appetite for God. They have no appetite for the Word evangelism, the kingdom, the church, nothing, but they call themselves a Christian. Man, again, I don't want to broad stroke anybody, just like we were talking about earlier, but I think that happens for so many different reasons, and uh, one of the, probably the biggest one of those is just discipleship. You know, we, we're sitting here talking about generations. If you're over 50, you should be mentoring someone. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you have something to teach somebody, whether you believe that or not. Just the fact that you have experienced living in the freedom of Jesus for longer than someone else has, you need to be spurring them along and helping them along the way. But, man, I think for, for so many of us, there's a cultural lens that we view things through, and that is tempting to see sometimes. And sometimes we can go after that, and, and it impacts the way that we view the Scriptures. But, so again, generationally, so many things have changed. You, you mentioned— uh, Life is different for kids now than it was a long time ago. And there was a moment that was a cultural phenomenon. If you remember, this goes back to uh, trick-or-treating and Halloween. There was something called the, the Tylenol scare that happened where uh, one, one, of the, one of the pills in a Tylenol bottle uh, was, was, met, was tampered with, and it led to a child dying. And that created a widespread panic. And I can remember uh, going out and trick-or-treating. That used to be a big thing that, that we did in our neighborhood when I was growing up. Even. And it was it became something to where parents were all of a sudden, they were real worried about what was getting put into that trick-or-treat bag. What if this is something that, uh, that could ultimately cause you damage behind something that was meant, uh, you know, as something that was good? And because of that, uh, culturally, we've seen now the idea of uh, a child being five or six years old playing outside until the streetlights come on is foreign. Nope. Now happen. we're we're staying right. inside. Um, so because a lot of those boundaries come up, the way that we develop cognitively now generationally is different than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, which, of course, there's all kinds of research out there talking about adolescence being extended into your 20s and and, and even later, maybe even into your 30s. But adolescence is even starting earlier with children being able to have uh, their questions answered from the Internet. You know, oh, Gen Z gosh, is yes. the first generation that has had 
essentially unfiltered access to the internet to figure out what they think about something because they can Google it because they have Wikipedia. And I would just add that... I can tell you one 10-year-old that does not. <laughs> she won't. Well, that, so. that's a good thing. Yeah. That That's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> um, but the, re- the reason that I bring that up is, man, you can Google questions of faith and you can end up in a really, really bad place in a hurry because nobody's filtering what's going out online. You have to make sure that the source is valuable and is good. Which is even more so, um, it, it, it really exposes the need for good discipleship from the parents first and then supplemented by the local church that you're a part of. That's right. Yeah. I think the the good old days we were talking about a minute ago that I think I think I experienced the tail end of that where the church was kind of the the cultural center of the town. People would come uh, and and be a part of different groups that happened, and everything kind of filtered through the church, and it was just expected that you went to church somewhere. There are still places I think that are that way, r- rural towns. I think even between our two campuses, that's probably a little more true for Alberta than it is for Pitukee. Where we're seeing that as that church right in the middle of town now mm-hmm. is becoming more of a cultural center. For, I mean, it is, I think, in small town America, we're still seeing yeah. a little bit of that, but less so in in the bigger cities. Yeah, no doubt. Right, but we need to see the those ur- cultures move slower though. Yeah, sure, absolutely, in, in in a sense. But we as believers need to see an urgency in you know we can't take for granted that people are going to be sitting on a pew on Sunday morning. Right. And that creates challenges for evangelism and discipleship and the way that we actually live out our faith in the workplace and uh, in our neighborhoods by, you know, having people into our homes and sharing the gospel. And, man, there's so many implications now that, you know, I, I totally understand, man, a, a reminiscent of the good old days of having everybody in on a Sunday morning. But what we're seeing now is that we— Instead of a y'all come mentality, it's a we're equipping believers to live out their faith to bring in a Gen Z, to bring in a Gen IY, to see the grace and mercy of God, to see that Jesus is better than anything else that's out there because of the cross, because of the great sacrifice that he has. And when we belittle that into uh, a music style or a formula or something that may have worked before and we miss out on the beauty that God is, we're selling short a whole entire generation. So how many times, and the Bible says that he's given to the church the gift of the evangelist. Mm-hmm. How many times have we tried to put a um, a potion together, if you will, by setting the mood? I mean, I remember as a kid, guys, you know, I remember as a kid going to church and we'd sing all the verses of Just As I Am three times. Uh, you know, like waiting on somebody to move or make a move. I even remember, uh, and I'm not putting this down. I'm just saying I remember being in a service one time where the pastor called a man out in the auditorium and said, you need to get saved tonight. Or you're, I mean, called his mm-hmm. name in front of the whole church. He was just a really hard case. And I think if you're going to do something like that, you need to be sure the Holy Spirit's leading you to do it, mm-hmm. that you're not manufacturing those kinds of things. And I think this younger generation because they're so knowledgeable, because they're so diverse in their learning and what they know and all that, uh, they know a scam and they know a scheme when they see it. Mm. And I think the I think the younger generation right now is attracted to authenticity. Give me the truth. I, I had a man in my office yesterday, a young man, who said, you know, I just realized I've gotten away from the truth. I got to get back to the truth because it shapes my worldview and who I am. 
And I think one of the things that uh, maybe some of the older generation, the boomer generation and, and, and older uh, struggles with is how do we communicate our faith through these generations all the way down to a Z or an IY or whatever those below us because I think if we're not careful what we'll have is we'll have the attempt to pass on churchianity mm. to those coming behind us instead of passing on a genuine faith. You know, one of the most impactful things that somebody did for me uh, was actually something that we're doing now as a church. Um, I had a pastor friend, as I was in ministry, he just came to me one day and said, you know, hey, I'm starting this Bible reading plan. Um, would you mind meeting with me, you know, for an hour a week, and we'll just read through the Scripture. We're not preparing a sermon. We're not, you know, getting into it. We're just holding each other accountable to reading Scripture. Now, at the time, I think I was probably 23, 24 years old, and this guy was uh, 49 or 50, and that was just a very clear example of somebody from a different generation that was just reaching out and saying, hey, let's just get together and do this thing. It was clearly defined. You know, we had our, if you're a part of our foundation's discipleship groups, you'll see uh, exactly the way that those groups are laid out. And over time, he just spent time with me. I mean, uh, this was probably the only person that I've ever uh, looked forward to waking up early to go have breakfast with to open up the Bible and read. But there, there wasn't a, hey, you need to come to my Bible study or anything like that. This was just a guy who, saw something in me that said, hey, I need to I need to help this guy along. I need to help spur him along in his faith. And, man, I think that's something that this generation that's coming up now desperately, desperately needs and wants. But you can't, again, you said authenticity is everything. You know, if we look at Gen Z social media trends, they don't, if you look at an Instagram feed, you may only see five or six pictures that are up and they keep that very uh, boiled down to exactly what they want their image to be. But the real them is in stories, is in things that disappear in 24 hours because they've seen the mistakes of millennials posting things online and making mistakes and allowing them to make mistakes is a big thing. And it's not just that we should be able to make mistakes, but we learn from those when it is brought up uh, in, in a healthy way. So I think that this generation just has a, a longing for discipleship, for a life-on-life -life, uh, kind of thing. And when we try to make it into a program, that's when we lose them. So what you're talking about there is relationship, right? Absolutely. It's, it's taking the time to get to know somebody. And, and just because they're a different generation doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't spend time with them. In fact, you should. You absolutely should. Um, we are a culture at, at large that is based on uh, relationship, right? So if you're, if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you can present the facts to them. And for most people, not all people, but for most people, they care a whole lot less about the facts than about the experience that you've had with Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and that's going to take some time where you're going to have to invest some time to buy the right to show them how you've lived for Christ and how Christ has changed your life. And so if you're willing to take that time to build that relationship, you can you can see some awesome fruit come out of it. But it, it's about relationships, which is what you were just describing. So you said a while ago, you, you referred back to 2 Peter chapter 1. In the beginning of that chapter, he lays out a pattern of discipleship that mm -hmm. is not a trendy thing that 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 goes away with generations, but he lays it out. It, it's a, this pattern of virtue leads to knowledge, leads to self-control, leads to steadfastness, then to godliness, then brotherly affection, and then love. Mm -hmm. 
Like th- those things all work together toward a complete package of how the Holy Spirit l- is lived out in our lives, how the gospel is lived out in our lives. And if we can get that pattern uh, lived out in our lives, we're, we're much stronger to where regardless of what the trends do or what happens in society around us, what culture does, those things don't change. That, and I think that's where you guys were talking about in discipleship and authentic relationships. That's reality. Where social media is not reality. And a cultural scheme to reach people sometimes that's not based in the, on the Bible and the Holy Spirit is not reality. But these things that come from the Word of God, you know, the fruit, fruits of the Spirit, things like that, that's real. And that's lasting beyond a trend. I think that's one of the biggest generational divides that we have whenever we try to, you know, find someone who's young to help disciple them is we try to make them like us instead of like Jesus. Oh, man. And we make the descriptors uh, the descriptors of what Jesus is calling to, and we water those down into a, a even flawed version of ourselves. And then whenever uh, the the one that we're discipling doesn't live up to our standard of ourselves rather than Jesus, that's whenever relational damage is done. And man, that that's a wake up call to us as believers who are discipling people to know the standard that we're holding them to. And man, I I I pray that in ten or fifteen years, I don't look at a teenager and think, oh, you're missing it because of a behavior that you have that's really just an indication of something that's going on in their heart. So, guys, let's wrap this up today by saying this is just something that um, that came to my heart and mind is is I believe that ever, the older generation, when I say older, I'm older than John, older than you. You're older than Nathan, who's running our control panel here. Who is a Gen Z, who is in his 20s, who is a college graduate, who has a job and a home. Let's throw that in there. Who needs to shave. Who needs to, No, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> he did shave. He, he needs yeah, to grow his shaved. beard back. <laughs> but I, I really believe that like people that are older than me, you know, a, a step above or two steps above, that they have a mindset that, I don't even know how to talk to somebody that's 18 right now. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's 22. And that's not true. That's not true. Absolutely. We've got to lay down the stereotypes, and we've got to lay down um, maybe the, the the very tight lens that we viewed Christianity and church through for decades. And we got to realize that the gospel doesn't change. The gospel, the word does not change. Mm-hmm. But people are people. And the Bible says that the older are to mentor the younger are to speak into their life and to speak truth. And so life experience um, is valuable and younger people need older, uh, the older generations uh, life experience. Which is probably the thing about our church that I love and cherish the most is that it's so Mm multi-generational. We've worked really hard in our worship services to, for us to all worship together, not to separate all generations out, but all be together. How in the world can the older teach the younger if they never see them? Amen. 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 I want to challenge everyone to pray, to pray for the different generations, to pray for young people, and to think about what God wants you to do, what God's calling you to do, uh, to speak into those that are younger than you, and to care about those that need Christ. Been a great conversation, guys. Enjoyed it. We appreciate you listening in today, and we look forward to being with you the next time on the To The Point Podcast.